Hi, everyone, and welcome to another Can Marketing Save the Planet podcast. Our guest this week is the wonderful Jeremy Connell-Waite. Now, for those of you who don't know, Jeremy is a global communications designer at IBM, and he's worked with many purpose-driven brands to help them tell more meaningful stories that impact people, profits, and most importantly, the planet. And in addition to all this, he's also a European leader for Al Gore's Climate Reality Project. Jeremy, thank you for joining us today. You're welcome. This is going to be fun. Thanks for having me. Now, I think I'm just going to start with a really broad question to kick things off because I'm kind of in that mood. And um, as we know, sustainability is a broad and complex topic. Um, and brands are investing millions, even, you know, IBM to IBM billions in sustainable development plans. But I guess, how does that really play out in terms of driving actual change? And what does it really all mean? I mean, that's a massive question, isn't it? What does it really all mean, Jeremy? It is. We'll take a little while to unpack it. Let me start then with a really small statement. I like things that are very short, big ideas, small words and short sentences. Um, a few years ago, Barack Obama said a really powerful 10-word sentence. You can change the world just by sharing your story. It's one of my favorite quotes of all time. Um, I think, you know, marketing specifically, you look at communications roles, people that want to make a difference, people that want to make an impact, you know, turning moments into movements, all that kind of stuff, really just boils down to storytelling for me, you know, and really whoever tells the best stories often goes home with the most marbles, right? Historically, yeah. that's been that we sell more stuff, but we know that stories bring about change because that's what humans respond to. The brain is wired for story. It's not wired for data and numbers. So I'm kind of inspired by very much about going in the boardroom and trying to make a difference from the top down. That's the biggest part of my job. But, you know, I know it's, it's kind of cliche to mention her, but I just adore people like Greta when she stands up and says, no one's too small to make a difference. Yeah. Because that's something accessible to all of us. It's hard to see now because she's a superstar, but no one's too small to make a difference. Any marketer of any age, anywhere in your career, just starting out, no one's too small, you know? Yeah, and I love that. And, and of course, what we tried to do with our book, because I know we've just been talking just pre, pre-recording here about um, the book and uh, the fact that you read it and you enjoyed it, which is fantastic to hear, uh, is... The, the story, as well as that driving, it, like you say, when you tell the story, people kind of, once they know, once they're educated, you can't kind of unlearn, you can't kind of unsee things, can you, from the reality? And so then if you go about your practices, ignoring what you've just learned and the education piece, you're, you're not behaving in the most responsible way. You know, you're making then a conscious choice about the decision you're making if I know that that's the reality, but I'm, I'm not going to do anything about it anyway. Mm. Could I'm, I'm pausing just because I, I'm wondering if we want to go deep into some classical Greek so early, but I think this speaks to, I'm a speech writer and I'm, I'm looking at this in terms of, we're trying to persuade people, right? This yeah. is about influence. We want to win hearts and minds. Not everybody wants to change the world. You know, people are good. You know, they have good intentions. Um, but sometimes people are either just not wide, they're not able to. Um, I think about when you look at a great story and great pieces of communication to get people to act, all that stuff that you can't unsee, any great speechwriter, certainly even storytellers, you know, screenwriters, will look at things like pathos, logos, and ethos, mm -hmm. right? They're going to look at the, the rhetorical appeals that Aristotle talked about thousands of years ago. Um, how do we have emotion and values, 
reason and proof and credibility and trust. And every story has got to have three of those things. All the great speechwriters of all time have really nailed that. Now, there's one piece missing, though, which gets the important bit that is often missed out in communications and storytelling. And that's a word that isn't often used called kairos. And kairos literally translates as K-A-R-O-S, a supreme moment at which one simply must act, no matter how implausible or inconvenient. I heard it from Mike Bloomberg talking about his climate stuff. So I look at a lot of the people I speak to they're completely inspired. They want to change the world. They're really, you know, but then when it comes to the action, mm, actually yeah. doing something with a sense of urgency where no one's forcing their hand to tick a CSR box, yep. that's yep. a completely different proposition. And, and I think that's where you have people wanting to look like they're doing the right thing to what is very expensive, incredibly complex and very time consuming. It's you know, incredibly heavy maintenance to actually do the right thing. And the bigger the corporation, of course, the harder, the harder that is. And anyone that can bridge the, the balance between yeah. the head and the heart with the Kairos and the emotion and the science, the climate change movement arguably still struggles with that too yeah. much, which is why it's in the position it's in. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think something that I've been bouncing around in my head for the last couple of weeks, it's been quite a fun place, not, <laughs> is, you know, is that need for balance and transparency? And I keep, I keep jumping back and forth about, you know, there's a lot of noise and there's a lot of conversations about all the good that's happening at the moment. There's mm-hmm. organizations who are going through, you know, B corporation status to get, you know, their stamp of approval. There's organizations that are coming up with some fantastic propositions that are really going to make change. And then there's the problems that people are talking about. And it's it's almost that the balance between we need to know that there are problems and you use, you know, use the quote on your website about the greatest threat to our planet is the belief that someone else will save it by Robert Swan. Mm -hmm. And then I think on the other side, there's also, we need hope, don't we? We need hope to drive progress without, without ignoring the problem. And I've been really, all the different things I've been reading and listening to, they, they flip me from one side to the other of, it's not going to happen. We have to make it happen. And I'm just wondering what your views are on that. Because there's so much out there. So where do you go? You, you hit on a really great word. And I don't know if you did that deliberately. Um, hope. Yeah. Right. Um, because first of all, you have, people are overwhelmed at the moment, aren't they? I mean, personally and professionally, whether you look at, I was reading the Edelman Trust Barometer the other day, 81% of people are scared of losing their jobs, most to automation. You know, that's a challenge. You're trying to inspire people. Various movements, including the climate movement, have seen things like Maillot-Jean's in France. You know, you're scared about the end of the world. We're worried about the end of the month. Yeah. I just want to pay my rent, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. the kids and put food on the, and all of this. And, and what happens is with all of these big things, sustainable development goals, great example. We're miles away. It needs a COVID-style response for the next nine years to hit yes. it. We're not going yeah. to get yes. even close, right? It's a massive problem. So what happens is people have what is being, you know, widely termed apocalypse fatigue, right? You have things like climate grief and all the mental yep. health and the stresses. So it's easier for people to stick their heads in the sand or just think, you know what, I can't, I can't cope. I don't know what to do. We're looking at, say, the board level. We do one of the biggest C-suite studies in the world. It's showing at the moment four out of five executives are overwhelmed, underprepared for the challenges they're going to face over the next couple of years. As a result, 75% are making these major strategic decisions about their business with their heart. 
that often goes against the data, right, which is irrational. Now, here's where I think it boils down. And if anybody on the podcast wants to take this, because this isn't a thing yet, but it really should be. I was in a conversation with Tom Friedman from the New York Times and Al Gore um, a little while ago, talking about hope budgets. Yeah. Hope budgets is a phenomenal idea, and it absolutely nails this whole problem. If you think about it, what marketers do best, right? Demographics, we can segment audiences, we look at the triggers of each individual to get them to act, try and tell an emotional story that drives them. Um, everybody's got a certain amount of hope. And the more information you receive, yep. the more that hope gets eroded. Um, and whether that's human trafficking, whether that's climate, poverty, education, whatever the thing is, and the more it gets eroded, you get more pissed off, you get yep. more angry, and you increase the likelihood to act. And yes. I'm not just going to give you my money or my like. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something. I'm going to yep. build a website. I'm going to march. I'm going to set up a thing at work. But what happens is if you give people too much information and it erodes it, they do get to the point where they're overwhelmed, anxious, and think, well, I can't do anything. Yeah. Yeah. And that window is so small between the hope of when you're ready to do something and then, do you know what, I give up. And, yeah. I, and the key, which is where marketers on the front line should understand this better than anybody, is what is that little window of hope for each audience or each segment or each demographic? Because that's where you get them to do good stuff. That's where the Kairos comes in. Yeah. I think that's how you bring about change. I like that. I, I really, I mean, that's, that's wonderful. And, and I don't know if you've read The, the Future We Choose by Cristiano Aguirre. You know, she, I have, yes. Yeah, she talks about that gritty stubbornness, that uh, gritty optim, optimism and stubborn optimism. And that kind of is, is what your, that little window is that, is that almost that gritty stubbornness and that that yeah, keeping going with the optimism? And and I think there's there's a there's a challenge there because the customer, the consumer, has to have that stubborn optimism. Like we're not going to, I'm not going to give up on this. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. I now I'm aware, so now I need to do something. And they've got to remain optimistic. And as does the organisation. You know, the organization also needs to have that level of, well, we've done now, we've done that project and, and that's kind of ticked that box. And now we're, it's got to be a driver, hasn't it? This little, this tiny little window of optimism. Well, Deborah, I think we spoke about this the other day. You know, that idea is the gorgeous Margaret Mead quote. It's one of my favorite quotes that's in all my notebooks. Never doubt that a small, thoughtful group of committed citizens yeah. can change the yeah. world. Why? the only thing that ever has, right? Um, I love that idea of trying to mobilize the small group. And we talked about the three and a half percent rule. You know, Erica Chenoweth from Harvard, nonviolent civil disobedience. Doesn't take that many people to bring about change, whether you're going all the way, you know, anti-apartheid, civil rights, LGBTQ, suffragettes, you go all the way, it's almost consistently three and a half. I mean, even Extinction Rebellion built their manifesto on that concept. Yeah. I see a huge amount of truth in that. So I look at maybe a workforce like ours, you know, we've got 330,000 people. I'm looking at it in groups of three and a half percent because I'm not, you know, you can't who, change who are the people that are yeah. going to change the world? Yeah. Yeah. But if I can break that down into little clusters of 2000, well, now we can do some damage. Okay. That's realistic. Yeah. Now I can, you know, I can handle and measure that, but otherwise it just becomes too big too quickly and you do feel overwhelmed. Yep. So yeah. getting back to the role of marketing then and about, you know, what is, 
Why? I mean, the storytelling, this optimism, this understanding the consumer, this getting to the win—you know—the window of the consumer, understanding their needs. Marketing, in our view, has this great opportunity to work across the business to bring about sustainability, to drive sustainability, to kind of be asking some of the thorny questions of various departments that maybe haven't started getting going with it. But, but you know, the marketers that I speak to, I mean, I'm very heartened by some of the responses we're getting to the book that are saying you've given us something really tangible to, to get started with, to build a business case around. But it's not necessarily going to be an easy pitch, is it? It's really not. I, I like thinking about things in terms of activists and evangelists. You know, and, and often you want to have, you know, internal activists that are bringing about change inside, inside and then you can empower them to become evangelists that go out into the wild and, and try and inspire other people to change. But really the whole premise of this, and I did think about this reading your book, I mean, it's a brilliant kind of, it's almost a scientific document. I like that it's almost like a how-to guide of what to do to make a difference, right? When you're on the front lines with the consumer. But it does very much rest upon one big challenge, which is you need to have the trust and respect in the first place for people to want to listen to you. Because it's like we said before, with the pathos, ethos, and the, yeah. you know, to have that, you know, you can come in with all the logos and logic and reason and proof. You can tell a compelling argument. Marketers are great at telling good stories. But to get someone to act, that kairos requires a huge amount of connection. It often requires, you know, economic drivers, even though you want to impact the environment, we've got to show the economics first yep. because that's what's going to drive the business. Marketers are not always great at doing that. Very few of them sit on boards. Very few of them actually have the ear of the CFO. And it wasn't that long ago before we have seen these record low levels of trust amongst you know the CMO community. So yeah. I absolutely get what you're saying. And we've, we've got to fight the good fight. We absolutely yeah. do. But I think the key to making that happen is having marketers literally embed themselves in the fabric of a business on the technical side, operations, HR, you know, within the economics. Yep. Uh, that was my background. I wonder if that's why I've kind of managed to navigate this quite well. I used to work at Facebook valuing audiences. You're trying to put a price on a story or something intangible. And if I can show an economic value on why if you act like this, this will happen. Yeah. Now my CEO takes notice and, and something's going to happen. Whereas when the CMO says it, it's a bit hit and miss. Yeah. And it's interesting you say that because I, you, you know, I, do, I do quite a lot of training with organizations around strategy and digital strategy and marketing strategy. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm saying to them, well, you need to understand not these vanity metrics, not mm -hmm. these metrics around likes and shares and engagement pieces around that. You need to go back up to the top and say, what are the key drivers and, and how do I now demonstrate that? And they say, what you need, we need to go to the boardroom and speak to the CFA and say, what numbers do I need to be demonstrate? Yes, you do. And if yeah. you, you know, if you're not doing that already, that's, that's the first place you start. I think one of the first pieces of advice I ever got when I came into marketing and, and I was, you know, very much seduced by all of the social engagement metrics yeah. and I'm learning NPS and all the mechanics of how everything works. And it was, um, it was a senior marketer from Google and they were like, look, Jeremy, there's only two things anyone's ever going to want to know. How much did it make? How much did it yeah. save? Yeah, that's, that's it. it. Yeah. And if you can nail ROI properly 
which got me into a lot of trouble when I was in social because all I ever spoke about was ROI. And you got people like Gary Vaynerchuk running around saying, what's the ROI of your dog and your mum? You, you can't put value in a relationship. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, that's why marketers have no trust and credibility yeah. because they can't put economic values on stuff. Yeah. And you flipping need to if you yeah. want to get stuff done. Yeah. And, and that is such great advice. My advice, when they say, well, you can't measure it, find a way. Find a way to measure it. Find a way. Yeah. And if you can't figure it out, go to the top and say, how can I measure this in a meaningful way? You know, that's exactly. going to have an impact. Yeah, and just work backwards. And just work backwards. Yeah. And work backwards. And and I suppose that's this, you know, this is a critical piece with regards to driving the sustainability agenda is the same, isn't it? It isn't just a case of, it, we've, we've got to be thinking about the business case. Mm. It's not just a nice to have or a good to have. There is that, you know, to get these initiatives off the ground, you're going to have to build the business case to be saying, and this is why we need to be doing this. I mean, there are heaps of statistics out there already showing that good business is good for business um, and the profitability of those aspects and, and, and elements. What are your views on that? Um, I struggle with a lot of those reports, to be honest, and and I more than anybody want them to be true. You know, I mean, there's all sorts of stats about why you would choose to spend so much more on a product because it was sustainable than something that wasn't and B core and, you know, everybody wants branded Patagonia swag, right? Because of, you know, but I, I just don't know. I mean, first of all, I, I challenge a lot of the methodologies and some of those studies. I think when you actually dig into the agenda of who created them, who did they go out to, what did they actually say? You know, you look at agendas. Some of them are quite tenuous and very much have ulterior motives um, behind them. But I think the challenge that you have at the moment is, in fact, Tom Friedman said this really well. Uh, for anyone that doesn't know him, he's three Pulitzer Prizes from the New York Times top journalists that they've ever had in their history, right? So in terms of engagement, he's like a marketer's dream. How do you become the best journalist of all time? Yeah. For the New York Times. And, and he talks in a, in a book called Thank You for Being Late about, and this was ways before, you know, the pandemic. We were already in the middle of three crises, which yeah. was why people were overwhelmed. There's a crisis of technology, a crisis of globalization, right? And then you've got a, a crisis of, of technology, so you've got um, technology, the environment, and globalization. So data is doubling every year and everything's getting yeah. disrupted. Geopolitical movements, you know, a lot of that is driven by climate. And then just the planet, the SDGs itself. So I got the chance to ask him about, you know, well, when people are so overwhelmed in the middle of all of that and they need to bring about change, how do you do that as a journalist? Because that's what your job is. You're not investigative. You're, you're an opinion writer. That's what a storyteller is going to do, right? Yeah, absolutely. He gave some great advice. This is brilliant. He said, um, I'm not a journalist. I'm in the heating and lighting business. I'm like, okay, I, I, what does that mean? He said, think about it. Think about everything that we do when we're trying to bring about change, certainly as storytellers. You're either trying to shed light on something. You're yeah. trying to illuminate something, maybe yeah. in a language that other people understand to show them right? Oh, I never looked at it that that way before. I shed some light on it, right? So I'm in the lighting business. Simplify complexity. Or he said, I'm in the heating business. My job is to provoke a response that gets people to act. Mm. And I'm going to do that usually by going into one of the two most extreme human emotions, humiliation or dignity. Now, he did that a lot with his political agenda, but I think that's true of anything. Yeah. You know, we've got to look at our jobs that we're in the heating and lighting business People are overwhelmed. There's several crises going on. 
And in technology, for example, certainly in business, everyone's been disrupted so quick. Even with all that data, the incentive is not great enough to push forward what might be required of, I don't know, scope three reporting to measure your true carbon footprint, for example, stop offsetting stuff to try and look like you're doing the right thing. It's really expensive to do all of that. So the economics are always going to come first. And there will be a triple bottom line, but maybe the environment and the employees, you know, Mm -hmm. or the people on the planet are the 70, you know, the the 20 and the 10 and the economics are always going to be, certainly at the moment, Mm. the 70, yeah. Because, I mean, you know, you hit upon that point around the data versus the storytelling. And, and you, you mentioned last time we talked about Catherine Hayhoe's TED Talk, which I went away and listened oh, to. Yeah, and, yeah, you know, and she talks about the most important thing you can do to fight climate change is talk about it. And the one line in there is where she says, we need to talk about why it matters. And, you know, we, we, you know, we know the why as marketers, you know, the the big start with the why and the emotional connection to stuff. But she's got a new book coming out in September, hasn't she, mm. called Saving Us, where she's actually combining research and personal stories to try and drive even those who are overwhelmingly denying you know, the evidence against climate change. She's, she's using those two things, research and storytelling, um, to motivate towards action. And I think, you know, when you're telling a story about the environmental crisis, again, it, you need to evoke the emotion. You need to say why. And she says, you know, go home and talk to your families about it. And I wonder how many marketers go home after telling their stories about their organizations and talk to their families. I mean, I, I spent ages talking to my daughter about, you know, climate change and the trees and their carbon sinks and what we're doing as a planet. And, you know, and she's seven years old and she's, she's getting it. She's getting on board, you know, but but, um, it's true. Is she judging all your purchases and going through your shopping? Well, I'm judging more her purchases because she likes a lot of plastic stuff and we're trying (laughs) to dramatically reduce that now. But, um, you know, she's onto bamboo toothbrushes and, and stuff like that. She's moving. She is slowly moving away from them. But it's, it is about, you've got to just keep, you know, it's not about coming to work as marketers, telling this great story about your organization, going home and, and forgetting about it, is it? No. And also, I would say it isn't about just forgetting about it. But I think even as marketers, one of the things I've picked up from some of the organizations I've been speaking to is that they have sustainability uh, plans, they have sustainability initiatives that are, that are happening, but they are they are being created internally without really speaking to their customers in just the same way that we're saying, do we speak to our family members about it? They're not speaking to their customers. They're not speaking to their employees about it. And, and so here you are as an organization saying, oh, we're going to do this. This is, this is great. And actually, it's actually driving even more disconnect rather than connection because they're just like every wonderful initiative that comes out of the boardroom often, it's not actually being canvassed or engaged with the audiences that matter, which is the employees, key stakeholders mm-hmm. and, and consumers. And, and that's something that the marketer can affect. They can say, let's, let's, this is, okay, you've got this initiative. Let's find out, or, or we don't have an initiative. Let's find out what our customers think about this. Let's think about what, the, what our customers are feeling about these issues, what our employees are feeling about these issues, because that can actually really start to open the eyes in the boardroom as to, we weren't even aware that there was that much concern or overwhelm out there in the market. We just 
We're just carrying on turning the wheels without stopping, pausing and, and actually having that conversation, not just with our families, but actually with the key audiences that matter to, to our business. Yeah, and I think it comes down to it's just too easy, isn't it, to attach? Oh, we're now purpose driven, yeah, know, and we redo yeah. some mission statement, and customers just see right through that if it's not authentic. Certainly, if it's not connected to, you know, your your founder's vision. We mentioned Patagonia. You know, everybody wants to be Yvonne Chouinard. He's, I love the fact that he's the reluctant businessman. You know, he yeah. never wanted to go into business, oh. but also what I really like is that he said, "Look, I'm not making any bones about. It. I want to make a shitload of money." Because the more money I make, the more I can give away and the more we create a business model that people want to copy. Now, you might be sat here listening to this now and thinking, oh yeah, but I'm not Yvonne Chouinard. I'm not in a big boardroom. Um, There's another quote, and forgive me, it's a little tiny bit cheesy, but Mother Teresa said, if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. Mm. Right, to your point, Gemma. Now, you could almost rephrase that and think, okay, well, what might my little family be? They might be a work family. Yeah. It may be, especially if I'm more junior, it may be that there's 20 people in my team. Yeah. And we know that a small amount of people can bring about can change. So, exactly. So, I mean, when you look at those numbers, and Catherine does a brilliant job of talking about this, um, a lot of it comes out of her faith as well. She's a great storyteller. Yeah. So, she always adds the human side to the technology side. You know, she's a kind of a big component of you don't just inform, educate, and solve a problem. You've got to inspire, entertain, and challenge them. You need the left brain. Yep. And the right brain. So I had a look at some of the data, actually, having, um, you know, spent quite a bit of time with her and her stuff. And you start looking at things like if you're just looking at the climate, 40% of global emissions comes from individuals, you know. So small acts all of a sudden can start to make a big difference collectively. So first of all, that's quite empowering. But then when you look at it with your business hat on, okay, well, 35% of global emissions come from industry. Okay, well, that sounds a lot, you know, because industry is so big. Yes, but 70% of them come from 100 companies and a third of that comes from just 20. So now we're also in the realm of just a very small handful of companies could bring about a huge amount of change. And the challenge, I think, certainly for the best marketers, find your way into those companies. Yeah. Find your way into those boardrooms and inspire their strategic imperatives. Why 2030 is far too late to be net zero. Yeah, yeah. And Jeremy, you, you mentioned at you know at the start of the podcast around Edelman's trust barometer, which is something that you know we we follow and we look at. And I'm just wondering what your view is around the fact that whilst business hasn't put its hand up for it, is it is being seen as the driver for change now, where governments can't or aren't making change, and how CEOs are being seen as needing to lead on societal issues. I think it's 86% of people Mm. worldwide see CEOs as essentially driving change. I'd encourage anybody to read that report, actually. I mean, of all the reports that comes out around this type of stuff, you know, it's probably the most credible. Um, I might get the numbers slightly wrong, but they've been doing it for over 20 years. I think it's like 33,000 people in about 28 countries. And for the first time in the history of the Trust Barometer Report, business now is more trusted than academia, than governments, than public institutions, public sector. And what it's showing is that those CXOs, who don't always realize it yet, will be reading about it in Harvard Business Review in six months' time. Yeah. They are going to be the ones responsible for social impact yeah. and not bringing in other people from the outside. Oh, we'll get John Elkinton or Paul Pullman. We'll come and talk about the triple bottom line. No, you, you, you have yeah. this on your shoulders to fix yes. it. 
yeah. which is a great responsibility. It's also pretty scary. Yeah. But I think that shows the opportunity that, again, that, you know, that people like us have to bring about change from the inside that, you know, on the consumer side and on the industrial side. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Okay. So we have spoken a lot about a lot of things and about purpose, the role of purpose, the role of uh, how small change can bring about incredible impact. We like to end our podcast with three sparky questions. And the first question I'm going to throw at you here, Jeremy, is can marketing save the planet? What's your view? Um, it's, I think only marketers would ever ask that question. I think if we reframed it, like (laughs) what is marketing? It is communicating stories to make people feel something so that they act and do something. Then absolutely. That's how you bring about change. And what do you hope business looks like in 10 years time? Oh goodness. Um, I certainly hope it's a lot more human with the levels of automation and working where I work. You know, I'm spending time around quantum and intelligent workflows and AI. I hope it's a lot more human and I hope that there is a tipping point. I think there's a lot that's going to happen as a result of the pandemic. We've seen not just accelerate digital transformation. There's a law called Dornbush's law. It's the law of hockey sticks. Things take longer to happen than you think they will, but then they happen faster than you ever thought. So I just hope deeper relationships, especially virtually, is going to make the world a lot smaller. Fantastic. Love that. And if you were to give one piece of advice to others around getting started with sustainable marketing, what would it be? Gosh, these are good questions, aren't they? Um, Well, in order to do that, to bring about the change, they need authority and they need empathy. And the only way that's going to come, that authenticity, is if they genuinely believe it. You know, I think it was Simon Sinek, you mentioned him before, love him to death. The goal in business isn't to sell to people who need what you have, it's to work with people who believe what you believe. So if I was someone starting out now, I would say, you need to find your purpose or your why. I don't think Simon goes deep enough to say, find your why. If you look at the Japanese concept of Mm. Aikigai, Mm, go and Google it, I-K-I-G-A-I. If you can combine your career with what you love, what you're good at, what you need, you know, what the world needs and what you get paid for. If you can get those four buckets to overlap, that's how you bring about change and that'll set you up for a brilliant career. Amazing. Fantastic. Well, I've thoroughly enjoyed chatting with you, Jeremy. Thank you so much. Thank you. You're welcome. That was fun. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. 